Hi everyone, I'm Jonathan Corrie, co-founder and CEO of Precursive. Welcome along to the Precursive Perspective, our podcast where we sit down with some of the leading minds across customer success and professional services. In each episode, I speak with people involved in scaling companies of all sizes, from hyper-growth startups to mid-market SaaS, all the way through to enterprise technology and communications companies, as well as, of course, uh, members of the investment and VC community now. And we explore how the best companies succeed in this continually evolving services delivery ecosystem with uh, special guests also including my two dogs, Cosmo and Ace, uh, my kids, Frank and Artie. Frank now famous for pulling his tooth out live on one of the shows. Uh, now, before we get into today's episode, in case you didn't know, spoiler alert, Precursive is the leading services delivery cloud for Salesforce. We combine award-winning task and resource management with easy-to-use professional services automation. Uh, built on the force.com platform, uh, we're 100% Salesforce Lightning native, which means you can better align your sales and delivery teams, automate project admin so that your staff get time back to focus on driving outcomes and value for your customers. We believe very deeply that there is a direct correlation between faster time to value and retention. So bridging that gap between sales and success is priority one for Precursive. So let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Jonathan Corey on a, what are we on, Thursday, T-minus one day from me going to San Sebastian, Augusto, which nice. uh, is a place close to your heart. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by my old friend, uh, Augusto uh, Negrillo. How's my pronunciation? Is that? <laughs> Spot on. Spot on. All right, bueno. Uh, who is the founder of Vidiero? Yeah, even better. Yeah. Uh, welcome along, sir. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Did I get that one? <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got it right. Very good. Um, practicing in front of a mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're looking way more tanned and healthy than I am, which is which is great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy some of your your country's wonderful cuisine and hospitality uh yes. tomorrow. Uh it's great to see you. Thank you for coming on. Give us a little bit of a, an introduction to yourself and a little bit about you know what you're doing currently and your history. And I think you have an interesting story about how your wife helped you name your current company. Um yeah. Okay, well, I mean, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Of course. Um, I think in this background, so I've been in technology and consulting all my life, and uh, um, I fell into consulting without knowing that I was actually doing it. So someone a long time ago decided to send me off to talk to clients, and mainly because I was the only one who actually liked talking to people in the technology department. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I and and that was my beginning in consulting, and it, and it was absolutely fantastic. I really loved it—that combination of problem solving and being out there in the face of things, you know, seeing what clients were doing with our products. And long story, very very short, I ended up running businesses back in Australia, taking them to sale, and then getting involved into the whole investment side, running the business first of all, starting one, and getting involved into the whole side of investment into consulting businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, I came back to the UK uh, my wife is from the UK and I think she was uh, secretly uh, um, unhappy about the, my kid's accent <laughs> I was developing <laughs> right. like Australian draw I really liked yeah. it but <laughs> right. I don't think she did 
anyway, we came we came back uh um like all projects a, small, a short period of time we were thinking six months ended up in seven years so far but uh, in that process i joined another business another consulting business in the uk and turned it around and took it to sell um so that is that where we met duration. is that that business pardon is that where we met at that business? Certica. Exactly. That's where we met. Ah. That's where I came into contact with Precursor for the first time. Hey, you know, you you re- reliable, reliable. Right. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and uh, so I guess you could say my background is in basically running, starting up and growing consulting businesses. And lastly, well, lastly, taking them to sell uh, and, and doing that successfully a few times and initially for myself and then eventually now as part of Vivero for other people. I think Vivero is, is, is the result of the be on my bonnet, changing bonnets, if you like. So after yep. doing that for a few times, I felt a bit like I was in a hamster wheel and I wanted to change. Uh, right. But I, what happened is that my, my interest, what I wanted to do differently, was to try to bring a new perspective, a business-centric view to growth and value creation and effect eventually transactions in mm-hmm. the consulting and technology space. So in there comes Vivera. And, and you're right, my name, my my wife named the business, and my wife is English, and the name is Spanish. It's been embarrassing that it was her the one who came up with it. But uh, it's a really good name because Vivero in Spanish means tree nursery. So it's oh, a place okay. yeah, yeah. Trees, your seedlings to become little trees and then they, they become healthy and strong and then you take them out and plant them in the forest. Strong oaks. All right. I love it. I love it. Exactly. Excellent. Well, um, in in this show, like we've spent uh, over the last few years, like actually this, this show started initially as a response to the pandemic because I wanted to talk to customers <clears throat> in a different way to understand how they were responding to the pandemic and remote working. And I just kept kept doing it because it's one of my favorite things. So this season is going to be all about the world of consulting. So you are the first guest in that area, good oh, sir, privilege. which is which is exciting because I, I wanted to start with like framing this world and, and kind of what the modern world of consulting looks like, because I know that you've seen it evolve over your career. Mm. And there are still some of the fundamentals there, but there there is this kind of like iteration mm. And it'd be, I'd be interested just to begin with in kind of like, how would you describe how you've seen it evolve over, over recent years? Uh, it's, it's a very good question. It often, when you can look online and you've got all of these uh, the, the trends that are changing the world of consulting, the things that are changing. Yeah. The difference now is that some of those trends are actually changing absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. So the, when, when I talk to people about businesses uh, that we work in the consulting and technology businesses we're working i tell them look the only difference really with any other business is the perception of reliance on people as people being the center uh, asset of the business and to be honest that's actually true to many other businesses but in consulting it actually becomes a product that you sell and so it, it makes you more reliant for different reasons and on, over the last few years how people work and interact with each other and also how people deliver services has massively changed. And, and it's the perception and the expectation of how that has to be done that is starting to force the hand of both the clients and the consultative businesses to adapt to the, to the new uh, wishes and desires of people when it comes down to work. But uh, one of the main things is the resourcing models. 
and there is the whole idea of the hybrid working, but that's actually opened up the possibilities. And suddenly resourcing is not a local activity anymore. There is, there is no need to think about resourcing as a local activity. You start thinking about it as a global activity with yeah. all the implications that that brings. So the, the, someone said to me a few years ago, I'm a digital nomad. I've got no idea what it was when he said it to me. <laughs> now everybody is a digital yep. nomad and everybody is yep. digital. Uh, so that creates uh, massive opportunities, but as well, great complexities within these businesses. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, one of the one of the strong forces of change. There is another one which is it's very much spoken of, and it's the digital transformation that the clients are going through, but that's actually affecting the businesses also that serve those clients. And I think one of the biggest changes is going to be the creation, the asset consulting, if you like. It's not good enough anymore to go in and do a large transformation program with lots of people on the ground and so on and so forth. You've got to be agile. You've got to be more free to food and you've got to move at the speed of digitalization. Yep. And that requires you to be IP or asset driven. And that transforms the model, transforms the way in which you deliver the model and transforms the way in which you've got to build the business itself. Right. Okay. I love those three themes, right? I think that it reminds me, I had a conversation a number of years ago with, um, I think he was, the, at the time he was going to become the, the chairman of Deloitte in the UK or like the managing partner of Deloitte mm-hmm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. We were talking about um, orchestrated workforce planning, right? And this idea mm-hmm. that, the, that what, what they were trying to do was provide or almost be like a broker to IP to, to their clients. And they were drawing on this pool of their internal people, augmenting that with expertise in forms of partners or contractors but what they'd found over time as you described when with this like whole remote piece is that actually the pool of individuals became way more competitive because kind of everyone could work from everywhere so there's a lot of interesting things there and I think the last piece around the asset bit and the IP I would imagine kind of like that's also like the world of SaaS has influenced that right Mm -hmm. because you know, companies are starting to think about like, like, you know, that, you know, how do, how do we deliver that IP to our customers on a, on a consistent basis? And I, I'm curious to know how you think like this SaaS economy, modern SaaS economy, as we call it, how is that impacting the world of consulting? Uh, it's, a, that, it's a very good one, that one. I think it often happens, but the grass is always green on the other side, isn't it? So you've got the, the typical <laughs> consultant, management consulting thinking yeah. well, SaaS is a lot better and then the SaaS business is thinking well you've, you haven't got the cash requirements we've got so your business yeah. is better yeah uh, it's, there is an interesting uh, model which you and I have spoken about before which is the I suppose the convergence to a point of collision of the world of services and product and and it's interesting how much more investment has gone into the world of product and attracted more entrepreneurial mindset that's driven what was traditionally I bought a CD and that's originally my background was I remember getting together with people eventually building the golden source into a golden CD that gets copied yeah uh, so but you get that thing and then you sell it and then that's it off you go and maybe you charge support and upgrade and so on and so forth and someone very cleverly took that and said oh no I'm going to turn it into a service you pay me on a monthly basis forever as long as you're using this in whichever model commercial model that's a much more sophisticated way to engage with the clients because your focus is on the clients using the product. So shelfware now becomes your problem, not the client's problem. 
It's a fantastic idea. The consulting world is lagging behind because whilst it's providing services to do it on a very immediate basis. So what was started to happen is that the traditional service provision model is starting to move into technology-enabled services and eventually into a similar SaaS commercial model. You can still deliver the same thing. You just need to think about it in a slightly different way. There's a few moving that way, not, not, not enough yet, but just slowly evolving that business and commercial model to provide the client with what I believe brings a lot more value, which is centric to the change of the problem. And also, again, one that I've mentioned to you before, that, that focus of the SaaS businesses on customer success, I think it's essential for consultative businesses to start bringing it into their, into their yep. flaws, if you like. Yep. They, there is this assumption, I know because I'm generalizing and generalizations are wrong, but there's this assumption that just by delivering what the client asked for and you wrote in a contract, then the client should be happy. And that is not the case. Yep. Because the needs change and continue. So you've got to be continuously focused on customer success. SaaS businesses have actually, many of them have nailed that. They're continuously focusing on the customer. They're more outwards focused, which yep. many consulting businesses are still a little bit behind on that. But the, the worlds that are coming closer. Um, and I think yep. it's good, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I often hear like if you were to, if you ask a consulting manager like uh, or someone who runs a consulting firm, like uh, you got revenue margin, happy clients, you know, choose, <laughs> choose two. Cause the, the, the third yeah. one always gets like, kind of, you know, like, oh, that could, that could get left behind. But no, I think that's, it's interesting. Do you think though, that, I mean, you mentioned some of the innovation. I, I know the guys are founded, you know, Kubrick, you yeah. heard of those guys? Yeah. The data yeah. guys. So they, they, I, I think I told you this, they were on my old, my old bosses. So back in the day we were doing, you know, what they were doing was they were innovating on a recruitment business model initially by providing business technologists. They'd spotted this gap between business and IT and large mm -hmm. corporates, particularly in FS. That's what we went out and sourced. And I, I used to, to, that's where I started my career in recruitment for those guys. And they've really innovated on that, that in on, there's a problem within, you know, these companies around data, right? We need to make better use of data. How, what is the, the most efficient, cost-effective mechanism to bridge that gap? And there's a people component to it. So they, they are identifying the problems, then training up this cohort of people, placing them in almost like in a, as a contract recruitment, translating them into a permanent hire. And they've got all these different revenue models associated with that. Yeah, uh, very clever. Fantastic yeah, it's, 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 it's very clever, but it, it's, it's, it's supply and demand. Yeah. Right. Right. So like fundamentally, they just they've just innovated on the on a on a better and more interesting way to, to do that with maybe less risk for the, the clients. And I think SaaS has influenced their thinking on that. There's a couple of good podcasts from Tim and Simon there where they, where they talk about that a little bit. Um, so in the in the current climate, uh, which is which is uh, er erratic. <laughs> I don't know what what's the word to describe it. What, what is yeah. the like? You're talking to people who run consulting businesses. What would you say the the mindset is of the best consulting leaders that you see right now in the current climate? One of the thing, first of all, on Kubrick is a fantastic business and a great business model, and mm. and the idea of building multiple streams based on the effectively the same base asset, which is the 
person that you play is yeah. absolutely fantastic. It's really clever. And, yeah. and I agree with you, it's, it's entirely inspired on, on the SaaS commercial models. Yeah. And a few have done it very successfully, like Kubrick. So it's really clever. Yeah. Um, also, call, using the data angle, which is, uh, well, it's been invoked for so long and it's, it's yeah, so, yeah. so important. Uh, in terms of, at the front of your mind, I mean, everybody does, why would you start a consulting business? You've got to be out of your mind, don't you? It's relentless and it never stops. <laughs> why start um, any business? Yeah, exactly. what I'm asking myself constantly. <laughs> <laughs> same, same thing, but the thing is, you wouldn't do anything else, would you? So yeah, yeah, no, I, I suppose on the, on the mindset of, well, this is what you're going to do because you're wired to build something. Then you start building and you think at some point, this is going to have to become more than I can make it by myself and then you start bringing people and so on. over the last few years what we've seen is that that can be shaking up very easily and right now there's all sorts of things happening all sorts of things i mean from uh changes in the monarchy to political changes to war to pandemics all of that is just creating an uncertainty in the market and that that brings to the front of people's mind resilience i think which is well, how do we make this more resilient to that kind of change? And within, I, I always tell people the key for a successful business is resilience and predictability. If you can tell me this is going to weather the storm and you can predict what the outcome is going to be depending on the circumstances outside, then you've got a good business. That's it. You're cooking with gas. So resilience has become really important because what we saw is people behaved to the uncertainty of the pandemic in very, very polar opposite ways. Some people let people go, some other people held on to people, all of which had an impact on the businesses. Uh, and we see now that there is a massive surge in work and there's loads of work coming up, potentially because that, the work agenda got postponed for a couple of years and now it's, it's all there and needs to happen before next year because something terrible could happen next year. So that the build the businesses that manage to nail resilience and weather the storm but retain the assets are doing really well right now, and everybody's well aware of that. So that's one of the key things. So we'll, those are people are looking into okay. So how do we continue to build this? How do we do it? I had a conversation earlier this week with a really beautiful business, data and payments. They had a center in Poland where they had all these amazing engineers really good cost center, very high quality people delivering services to the international client base. Mm -hmm. With the war in Ukraine, the prices have gone up. That has become an untenable center because yep. the salaries have trebled over right. the last few months. So they've got to entirely change the model and start to continue that, continue to grow it, but start looking for how we're going to create the leverage that we cannot create there anymore. But because they are a very resilient business, they quickly can jump over, adapt the model, and then come up with a solution mm, so that's okay. going to be i i think that's going to be a key one and then i love saying this because i think it's essential be long-term thinking is going to be key yeah so short-term thinking doesn't pay off uh, i know it can make money mm. but if the ultimate goal is not to make money long-term thinking will always serve well the stakeholders as the clients the shareholders and, and the staff so, and I think now more than ever is, is key. It doesn't matter whether you can see what's going to happen or not. none of us can, but it, doesn't, it shouldn't stop you from thinking about the long term. Don't make any decisions now that you clearly see 
are not going to help you and your team and your clients get through. Mm, okay. And so in this, it, through this lens of like resilience and, and as you described, like, how do we find that predictability, this search for predictability, if you will, like <clears throat> what, what are, what should consulting companies be thinking about in terms of the revenue mix mm. to drive that predictability? It's, that's, it's, it's the $100 million question, isn't it? Let's see if we can answer it and we'll make well, it. Well, it, might, might, it might make someone $10 million <laughs> in their consulting business to begin with, let alone 100. Not with the valuations of PS, but there we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's another subject. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think this, this, my view is that this brings us back to that conversation we were having earlier, the point you touched or raised earlier around the the SaaS commercial models, mm -hmm. the influence of those onto the consulting business models. So the, the predictability is impossible without recurrency. Mm -hmm. So, and then how do, you, how do you achieve that recurrency? It has been tried in many different ways. And this is one of the things the Kubrick guys absolutely nailed. They came up with a model that was, the more you engage with me, the more value you get. And when you want to stop engaging with me, you'll still get value if you pay me. Absolutely yep. fantastic. And that's the idea. The only thing is that in, in consulting, that's difficult to create unless you've got long-term contracts with money services. Yep. So then you, but it shouldn't stop people. What they should be thinking is about real currency. There's a little O in between in the world. Yep. And, okay. and yep. that is in fact very achievable. And in fact, many of the good businesses are already doing it, but they don't track it, which is a happy client. is a client that will buy more. And, and they will come back and buy more, maybe more of the same, maybe more of something else, but they'll buy more. And that recurrency in itself with certain padding parameters is as valuable in terms of the, the quality of the revenue. Yep. Uh, but undeniably, and again, you made reference to this earlier, having different revenue streams that compensate each other, kind of flatten your revenue curves and mm. move the peaks and troughs, that's, that's absolutely key. And importantly, that your revenue is profitable. So profit is king. So it's got to be high quality revenues. It's much better to have less revenue, but at a decent profit. I have yep. very high revenue, but very, very low profit. Yeah. Okay. I think that it's, it's super interesting, the, that Nirvana state that people are looking for, right? Because I think they've almost got, a lot of people have almost got brainwashed by SaaS. And it's like, oh, I need recurring. And therefore, let me build a product. And I throw mm. all of this money into building this product. And then turns out we don't know how to sell product. We know how to mm. sell services or the product shit. And, you know, <laughs> whereas, as you say, if you, if you kind of, if you sort of work back from like, we want, we want people to buy more from us and advocate for us and buy more over time, then actually that, that reoccurrence, as you describe it mm. is, is easier to achieve. I think from my perspective, what I see though, is that, you know, consulting businesses can check, can chase those big ticket deals, right? So they're going after the six figure deals or the seven figure deals, whatever it is in comparative to the size of your consulting business, which is great. You don't bill all of that up front. It's not like, yeah, here's a million pounds up front. It's like, no, 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 it's on delivery milestones or it's a phased engagement. And so then you've got this, 
pressure on your delivery quality and your execution. And as you referred to at that beginning, like the agility, your ability to be agile and phase this work. And I think, I think almost you've got to strike that balance when you, in your, in your consultancy sales of like, you sell the vision, you've got to sell the vision of digital transformation. And ideally it's over multiple months or years, whatever your time horizon is, but then it's broken down into such a way that you can drive outcomes and value more quick, more quickly. So that you're not carrying that risk of, well, this big program only works when I get to the end. And I don't know how that resonates with you. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's, there's two points in there. One is how do commercially engage to be more successful? And the quicker you can see, sorry, the client can see results. Yep. And the quicker those results actually make an impact onto the ultimate goal. And often, by the way, I see people get to... Uh, focus, if you like, on what they're doing rather than what they're doing that the client will achieve. And that the client achieving the client goals are really the ultimate reason why you're there, and that's what you should be thinking about. But the quicker the client can see a, an outcome realized out of what you're doing, the easier it is for that engagement to continue to not only stay, but also grow. Uh, I, I think what, I, what we discuss with people often is service architecture. We go to people and say, look, I can... And again, what you say is a spot on, I think, which is sell the dream, sell the vision. But the thing is, uh, how do my services fit in with our vision in, a, in order to enable you through the whole journey? So I need to be able to tell you that very simply, simply in one, two sentences so that you can say and say, okay, well, we start here. And yeah. now, how do your services come together so that it's clear yeah. to me that if I buy A plus B plus C over time, I'm going to be more successful because that's going to enable me. And very, very often, that's not something that is being thought through. So okay. how do these services come together? How, do, how does that make sense for me and therefore for you so that I can buy more of your services or your solutions? Yep. Yep. So that's one that I would say to people, you know, go and think about your service architecture, go and think about how that service architecture provides value with time on yep. the life cycle of your engagement with the client. But one you said, which is, which is an interesting one, is the, the one with product creation. And I talked about asset consulting earlier. I really like asset consulting. I come from product and, mm -hmm. and, and, and many of the technical businesses out there, they, they spot the patterns. I think they, they're in a great position to actually see what recurrently is a problem for a client that you could potentially automate or, or build a solution for. Uh, but unfortunately, you, you're right. Most consulting businesses are not set up to build product. I'm not going to use yep. the word that you use, but they're not terribly good at it. <laughs> and let alone I, sell yeah. it. I don't know uh, what it is in Espanol. Yeah. Muy malo. <laughs> Muy malo. Yes. Muy malo. Muy malo. <laughs> Fatal. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I, but it doesn't mean that they're not good at spotting the patterns, the problems that could be automated. So I believe there is a crossover mm. well there somewhere to, to create a venture builder yep. within the services industry that helps them realize these products. But that aside, and that's, I suppose, uh, for a different podcast, I think the ones that I see very successful are the ones that create their assets and they use the, those assets to yep. improve the service. Yep. deliver better service effectively to enhance the service architecture and then to deliver yep. better and deliver quick yep. and so on and and yeah very successful people doing that out there 
you, it doesn't necessarily need to be a product though right that's the thing it doesn't no, no. It, an asset as you say can be can be a <laughs> delivery mechanism for insight or capability so it could manifest in a few different ways yeah um, exactly so so moving on then so there's a couple more questions that i have right so so we talked at the beginning about kind of how the world of consulting has evolved and you talked about talked about a few things you talked about like the, the need for agility the the need for like in a globalized model you've got like a more um how how would we say a more responsive mobile resourcing capability that's got more flexibility um and and you know i think the 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 reoccurrence of of revenue so and then we talked about like the resilience of the mindset but if you break down like the anatomy uh of a of a consulting company of like what are the key components like talk us through in your opinion particularly from an investment maybe or an acquisition perspective what are those key components mm. um i think it's it's a shame because i don't think it's going to be rocket science but uh, i suppose the best things are, are common no, sense always elegance I, and simplicity <laughs> yeah exactly i think i mean simply put a clear vision is a key driver for the business yep so where are you going with this why does this make sense well, if you've got to sit down in front of someone and really have to explain uh, at length what the business does and why it's there, then yep. you know, it's, it's certainly not an investable business. Yep. Um, and in, investment in the form of potentially investment coming from outside of the market, but also the investment that people are going to put into buying your services as well as people that are going to join your business. It has to be clear. You've got to have a vision of, not only why you exist, but also what you want to achieve with that existence. And, and that makes a huge difference. Yep. Hold um, on one second, Augusto. My son's here. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Oh. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Can I uh, just finish up with my friends? Hey, everyone. Hello. This is Frank joining hey, our Frank. podcast. Um, I'm just recording this and then I'll come downstairs. I've got to make Lego, everyone. So oh, nice. these things are live. Okay, I'll pop down in a minute. Cool, bud. Um, yeah, carry on. Uh, yeah, so the, the clear, the, the vision is a, is a very important model, the strategy, that is that strategy. And then you say, well... So uh, after sorry. my son's <laughs> briefly interrupted the recording, um, hey, Frank, um, so we started with the vision. Yeah, so the vision, the strategy, basically the vision, the strategy all put together, where you're at, why do you exist and where are you going? That, that is a key thing, as we were saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the things that follow, we are... At a high level, is obviously you've got to have a, a, a great execution engine, which is a combination of really high quality delivery and engaging with the client. And we were talking about that, bringing some of those concepts from the SaaS world yep. into making your business more client-centric and then, and then operations uh, that is slick. Um, one of the things I typically think, okay, that strategy, that vision needs to be first and we've gone to the engine. One of the things that's become more apparent because of the changes and the need for resilience, is that that operations engine has to be solid. You need to have a way in which you're engaging and it's making it lean and mean, if you like, for you, but really efficient and smooth for the clients. Yep. And that from the onboarding, resourcing, finance. So when the invest, when the market looks at your business, they look at having a clear vision, they look at having a great team that delivers, they look at a few parameters that are here and there, having an operating engine that actually manages and services this, it's scalable and you can build more on top, 
is is very very positive because it, it effectively moves you from potentially being uh, a bolt-on investable business to being a platform one, which is an entirely different ball game. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's that. There's this. You know, when people talk about pillars, sometimes in businesses, it evokes this 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 siloed mentality, right? Is so you got to do yeah. this, you got to do this, you got to do this, and it, in reality, it's it's way more holistic. And I just think that, like you said, like you've got to you've got to have that vision. You've got to be able to do the top down piece because that's the bit that helps bind everyone together in the business about what you're pushing for, particularly at a senior level. But also, like it's really difficult to be creative with your customer do your best work provide like drive the most value come up with the best ideas if it's like you know it's like the tasmanian devil in the background for for Mm -hmm. organizing the work and people can't do their best work if things aren't organized um and and i think that i think that you know i i sometimes think that people shy away from the term people process and technology because it became such a cliche like you'd see it on all the gifts and all of this type of stuff right and <laughs> yes. people would be like you know i'm not going to put that on a slide but it is that it, it really exactly is that, yeah. it, it's it's, it's exactly just that. it's just if you don't have the right people you're not going to get anywhere and if you don't have good process for the way that you work and the way that you work with your client you're not going to get anywhere. And then if you don't have tech that helps you sell, deliver and bill, like, you know, uh, and arguably just like smoothly. Like mm. I remember you doing that. You remember you did that training for some of our team and you yeah. were just like the reputational damage that comes with, you know, you might be a little bit behind on an engagement and then you sent the wrong invoice and you're like, well, <laughs> then you look like a bit of an idiot, right? So I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of like keeping it simple and realizing that it is holistic. And then that people process and tech kind of wraps it all together. Yeah. And even the management structures, if you look at how management structures have developed over time, we've had all sorts of different things. And of course you still need leadership. You still need management. You need all of these things, but thinking about roles as a combination of different activities that come together Mm -hmm. to achieve an outcome. It's a much more successful way to do it than saying, well, you're going to be the boss always now forever because you've got a title. Yeah. Really, and in a, in a business like in consulting where you ask these people and you've got lots of people with different skills that could be suited for different problems in a different way, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you make it very, very static and very steep and siloed. Yeah. But absolutely. I mean, the key, the key to scalability is that platform. Yeah. And the thing with the invoice is that in some organizations, if you send the wrong invoice, they'll be checking every invoice you send and they'll be delayed payments. And then, you know, yeah. when procurement, when they come and ask procurement, was it easy to interact with these people? They'll say, no, cut them off. And yeah. There is much, but equally with, let's say that you're trying to onboard someone and I joined your business and it was an absolute nightmare to be onboarded. Yeah. Well, if I've got good friends somewhere, I'm going to tell them, don't join. It's not great. Yeah. Yep, yep. So it's, it's just a big, sleek, but also exactly as you say, holistic and cohesive group of activities, functions, whatever you're going to call them. And we can break them down. We can say, okay, you need people, you need yep. delivery, you need service yep. development, you need sales, yep. blah, blah. Much better to think about it as a whole mm. and then you start putting the pieces together. Now, one of the, the things you mentioned earlier was like this, you, you know, 
you, you know, sometimes lower revenues and higher profits is better, or no, not sometimes, it is better because you don't want to have <clears throat> unprofitable revenues. So I, I again, like part of what you do is help consulting companies to maximize like enterprise value, right? And create value. Yeah. So what are you, what should people be thinking about in terms of like dissecting that growth and making sure that it's the right kind of growth that creates value? Because ultimately at some point, probably these people want to sell their company or, you know, at some raise form investment. of, a, you know, yeah. you know, yeah, raise investment or some form of liquidity. So, yeah, I think I, one of the learnings for me going through the process of raising investment or selling businesses was that the stuff that the investors were looking at and that the advisors were telling me, oh, well, we need this, we need that, we need this, you know, can you present this? And, you know, we'll try to fight you and we'll try to put it together. But a lot of that stuff actually made sense from a management perspective. And what I mean by that is that had I known that I needed that or that that existed, whether that is cash flow management, for example, early on, I would have done things differently because I would have had a tool or the knowledge of a tool or something that would have made my business better. So the principle of, okay, so if I know what I'm going to need at the end, and I know the end is not the right word, but at the point in which I'm going to go to some kind of financial transaction in which I'm going to be scrutinized as the quality of my business. And I know what the outside market is going to say. These are the things that we need in order to say you've, you've got high quality business. If I know those and I plot them backwards and I say, okay, at this point I need, because you don't want to overbuild, but at this point I need to have a good structural financial put in place so that I can manage my performance in a slightly different way. At this point, I need this. At this point, I need that. So effectively, building the right thing through the different stages of development of the business helps you build it better. That's the principle, really. And it's, yep. it's not terribly clever, but it's simple. And I, I didn't have access to that. So that's why we're doing it now for the people. And what it is, is prioritizing the activity that will help build resilience, predictability, and quality on the business, the revenue, mm. the profits, and all the structures of the business so that as it grows and develops, it evolves in more efficient ways. Mm. So that's what it is. You, what we do is we look into what was, how do we prioritize the different things and where do you build? At what point should you build a sales and marketing engine? Or at what point should you start looking into a PSA instead of having a bunch of spreadsheets and, and notepads somewhere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, and how is that going to help you? What difference does that make? Or, you know, at what point should you engage with the proper finance person mm. to look into yeah, the yeah. numbers all yeah. of those different things uh that and that's just a few examples but all of those different things we try to plot them if you like on the journey of the business and we, we engage with business in many different stages but the focus mm. is grow by all means and do what you've got to do but focus on the right activities and again it's long-term thinking so whether mm. you're going to raise investment tomorrow in three years time we're thinking about the whole life cycle of the business after investment saying okay this is how you do it. And some of those things are actually going to come afterwards, but some yep. you really need now. Yeah. Uh, so I remember you, you, you may not remember this, but we were in this meeting when you were a client, my favorite client, obviously. Uh, <laughs> we were in this meeting in that, in like our first <clears throat> office in Brixton, where you came down and you were like, this is edgy. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, it was but much you, nicer than mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you said, you, you said, you, I remember you said something cause you, you were like, you were like, I want, um, you know, precursive is like the heat map of my revenue because you, you, 
it was a nightmare, but you'd asked us to color code everything in the product. Mm-hmm. So you knew this was sold, this was forecast, this was booked, this was billed. And you were mm-hmm. like, no, I switch it on. I'm like, I can see my revenue, like a heat map for this month. And I was like, oh, okay. Is that good? Like, at the time <laughs> we didn't know is that good. And you're like, yeah, because I know where I'm going to land. Right. Yeah. But it was interesting, like hearing you talk then, because once you get into like that's that where you said, if I'd have known that stuff, then it's interesting when you start to get the information in front of you, mm-hmm. like whether it's our tool or it is a spreadsheet or it's something and you've actually got real time information in front of you that tells you what's going on. You start the way that you make decisions and the speed that you then want to make decisions afterwards totally changes. Yeah, right. Because you're like, I'm actually looking ahead, not I get to two weeks after the end of the month, like we were talking about before we started the show. <laughs> and you're like, or you're getting to the end of the month going, am I going to make payroll or not? Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, you don't want to be there, do you? Well, yeah, I just it's really I think what's interesting is like the ones that I come across is, yeah, again, regardless of whether they're using our product or or, or a competitor product or or whatever it is. But it's the people who've got it locked down in terms of that knowledge and that certainty, they're much more confident in the way that they run the ship, right? Uh, Because they're not worried about it crashing into the rocks. Absolutely. I mean, just again, another example earlier this week, talking to to a beautiful business we're working with, and they were saying, well, we could hire 15 more people. So we're stopping you. So I don't know how much cash I've got. Yeah. I've got the work. Yeah. The client wants me to take the work. But I've got no idea if I can do it. Yeah. And it's been like, oh, okay, that cannot be the thing that stops you. Yeah. That cannot be because that's, that's the difference between the client getting what they want and need uh, and you growing or evolving the business. And you know, often we see businesses that get a little bit stuck on trying to effectively move the pieces that should be clear to everyone. And it's because of the lack of information to make the decisions. Mm. Uh, you know, I've always pride myself in the ability of making decisions often wrong making decisions quickly with a reduced amount of information at my at my disposal yeah that's not how you want to do it certainly not when you've got 100 people no it doesn't give you much longevity does it so then finally just just picking up on that then so you talked about like how you want to make decisions talk to me a little bit about the metrics that matter um for you guys Uh, yeah So, so it's i mean the traditional metrics are are still as relevant as they've always been. I, I like to think about it in, in groups, if you like, and you think about your clients, first and foremost, because that's the reason why you're there. And one that has always been really useful for us, uh, for me in the business that I've been part of, and, uh, and interestingly enough, the investors really like, and it's often not followed, not measured is customer satisfaction so yeah. are your customers satisfied what is your when you go into a product business and you ask them what's your mps and then everybody talks about CSA and all this yep. yeah yeah, CSA, yeah. I, very very seldom would anybody know what that is or what that means in a consulting business in an sme yep. consulting business yeah i think it's key to track that from the very beginning are they satisfied are we doing what we have to do and also because it's they clients are the source of your service development and architecture. They're going to tell you what you've got to do. They're the best people to tell you, well, do this or do that, and then we'll be better off. And, you know, so I think customer satisfaction is, is the key one to measure with whatever metrics and obviously the number of customers you've got. And going back to the revenue, 
the repeatability of business within those customers. Mm-hmm. So by service line, however you want to measure it, but are customers repeatedly buying from me? Are they buying the same thing? Why are they buying different things? Yeah. Are they buying more? Are they buying less? So that's yep. the, and a few other things, but you know, those are key, I think, for, for the client and the view of the client. Yeah. And then obviously you have to measure your people. So start mm-hmm. looking into am I re, am I attracting the right people? So all your process from at the beginning, which is what attraction, retention, and development. Yeah. And exit also, you know, are you getting the right feedback when people exit the business? Because eventually they will. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a key one. And and of course because of consulting and how they work, you need to check the right ratios in terms of your permitting and your and your contracting stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. Do I have this the right level of flexibility in my in my uh, team? Then you look at your services and your market. So am I addressing the market? Is how is my market developing? And then do I generate the right leads? All of those beautiful things that you get through marketing. Again, very seldom measured in consulting. I'm not sure why, but it's, it's a key one uh, because it helps you develop your marketing and sales engine. Yeah. And, and I like to tie that back to the service development metrics. So yeah. if I learn from the market and I'm developing leads, then how am I feeding that into developing my service? What kind of assets am I creating? All of that and that stuff. And finally, all of that combined, is it producing the right results? Which yeah. is financial. So am I getting yep. the right revenue? Is that revenue profitable? Is it growing? Concentration is a big one. So am I very concentrated and therefore at risk? So have I lost sight on resilience from a revenue perspective? Yeah. Things like that. So it's, it's all everything that we've been discussing. Then we, we usually like to look into input and output KPIs and then put them together. And then because obviously it's very important to measure the input KPIs also the effort that you're putting into things. And then are they producing the right results uh, at the end yeah all of which by the way are far from potentially employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction that are seldom measured and they should they we often see them uh just not all cohesively linked mm. sometimes people are measuring these things but they're not putting them together and say oh yeah because i do this i get that yeah they're not looking at the kind of the correlation and the Correct. And in turn, the causation. I, I, I like the hierarchy that you use, though, right? You work back from the client, client satisfaction, employee engagement, employee experience, like ability to attract and retain talent. You do those things well, the revenue and the margin takes care of itself. And I think too yeah. often in consulting, they're like, what's my billable utilization? What's my revenue yes. for consultant? <laughs> it's like, great. If your billable utilization is 96% and you're really busy, probably your staff are going to leave quite soon. Uh, yes. And by the way, is it profitable revenue? Like, you know, uh, so there's, it's a little bit, it's sometimes a little bit like, um, yeah, I think, I think the, the, the customer success or the client success mindset is start, it, you see it seeping into the right firms because you mm-hmm. see those job titles in those companies. You'll yeah. see the delivery leads, particularly in the world of IT or tech consulting. We operate a lot in the Salesforce ecosystem, as you know, you'll see, head of delivery and customer success or VP delivery and customer success. And you see that in the firms where they've modernized and they've got that kind of thinking, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of them invested in by Salesforce ventures who are, or by product investment companies who are like bringing that mindset to them. But it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Really interesting conversation as expected. So thank you for taking the time and the effort to prepare and, and everything else. Cause 
spoiler alert people we do prep um <laughs> so <laughs> this guy's magic man. He just makes it makes it up on his own and uh thanks to my son frank who has come home so for those of you that are paying attention i now have to go and put together a lego ninjago car Oh. um prior to packing for a holiday to san sebastian tomorrow uh which mm. is just my wife and i augusto so that will be oh, nice that's exactly what to you work out be. who's looking after the kids there you go all right <laughs> send them, up, send them <laughs> over <laughs> yeah yeah exactly gracias amigo uh yeah, thanks very much all right see you later absolute pleasure see you